Welcome to the Last Pass the Post podcast, where we deconstruct political ideologies, party platforms, and current events. My name is Christine. I'm a graduate student at the University of Ottawa in anthropology, and this is my co-host, Alex. Yeah, I'm a researcher in uh, biotechnology, but also an armchair politician, if you will, on the side. And this week, we're going to be talking about both sidesism and whether or not the conservatives liberals are really the same. Yeah, so that's something you see all the time, especially with people that have been sort of disenfranchised from the whole political sphere, um, saying that who you vote for doesn't really matter. Whether it's the liberals, whether it's the conservatives, you're kind of screwed either way, and neither will really help your life much. It's more about choosing the lesser of two evils, if there even is one. It's very resigned, um, I'd say. You know, a lot of centrists are just sort of like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, each side has their issues, and some people just don't vote, which honestly is one of the worst things I've ever heard. So, like, not enjoying your government. You're just going to not vote because you don't like your government. You have to vote to get a government you want. Yeah, um, that's obviously very true. But at the same time, there's a reason why these people feel that way. Sure, there are differences amongst the political parties, and we will talk about it in just a moment. But there is also an aspect that's very similar between the two that'll sort of lead people to this realization, if you will, or this idea that both are the same. Right. And that is going to be because of neoliberalism, which is something we're going to be talking about this episode. And then we're going to get to how it affects both parties and how it relates back to both sidesism. And ultimately, what can we do? Are there any alternatives to neoliberalism in Canada? So just to start off, let's state the obvious, how the Liberal Party of Canada and the Conservative Party of Canada tend to be very different. Uh, the first one is obviously going to be your social issues, like the LGBT rights. Clearly, the Liberals are a lot more open with than the Conservative Party. Um, stuff like the abortion debate as well. The Liberals are openly pro-choice, whereas the Conservative Party, ever since Harper was in charge, have sort of sidestepped the issue and chosen not really to talk about it or reopen the debate. Yeah, we know, um, where, we know all- where they stand, but uh, they're choosing not to open that up again well when andrew Scheer was in charge he publicly stated in interviews that he was pro-life or anti-choice or what have you um he was just wasn't committed to opening up that debate and a lot of individual members of the party have stated that as well they're just choosing not really to make it an issue because of how unpopular it would be essentially to bring that up right now so that's obviously one major difference the other one is clearly the environmental issues the liberal party while not going all the way when it comes to green policies and green economics are at least much better off than the conservatives who barely acknowledge that climate change is an issue that we can actually tackle. While these differences do exist between the two parties, they don't always go as far as they should. Once again, for the environmental thing, the liberals talk nice about having the Paris Accords and all that, but we're nowhere near hitting that goal. And when it comes to social issues, um, just look at the way that the Trudeau government's treated Native Americans. It hasn't been that much better than conservatives had in the past either. Yeah, it really is just sort of picking the lesser of the two evils instead of trying to pick a good because we can talk about environmental issues with the liberals all we want but then you have justin trudeau and his uh his pipelines that are being pushed and you wonder like oh i thought the liberals were supposed to be progressive well i mean they're, they're progressing different things like the environmental issue just happens to be a factor that gets young voters but there are very different agendas that are happening in the minds of these politicians yeah i'd agree with you it's definitely almost like a distraction from 
the other issues that the party tends to have you the, know, I, I get think, the youth vote with the social policies and the environment yeah i think the liberal party just sort of has this sort of added benefit of being seen as these like champions of progressive policies and people assume oh if you vote liberal it's because you're open-minded but in reality that's not really the case when it comes to the actual like inner workings of the policies and the issues like justin trudeau what was that bill i think it was like c 134 we'll have to double check that um but it's the one that essentially creates you know a second class of canadian citizens like a lesser class of canadian citizens where they could potentially lose their canadian citizenship if you know caught convicted i think of like terrorist terrorist charges which is you know it seems fair but ultimately it should be as Justin Trudeau says a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian where you wouldn't have your citizenship possibly revoked yeah it's also very specific in many respects because people can't have no citizenship uh, which means if you're a dual citizenship that like uh, that law can apply to you and you can lose your Canadian citizenship. However, if you're like one of those homegrown terrorists that only has a Canadian citizenship, then you can't be stripped of that. So you don't have any risk there, essentially. Yeah, well, exactly. exactly. There's still the risk of going to prison, but you know what I mean. Exactly. So like that bill like inherently targets immigrants and like naturalized Canadian citizens. Uh, that said, like while we are sort of a bit bashing the Liberal Party here, Just a little bit. Uh, it is important. To, yeah, it is important to acknowledge that like the Conservative are really, if anything, worse on this issue. So there is still that difference there, just not as big of a difference as you would seem at first glance. But enough about that for now, at least. Um, more importantly, how are both parties the same? Uh, you mentioned neoliberalism earlier. So, I sure did. Yeah, so in a nutshell, just to explain what the goal of that is, it's, uh, it's an economic policy that essentially says that the private market is the best way to handle things because everybody is going to work towards their own financial interests. Um, for example, you know, you want to open a business, you want to have more customers, a bigger share of the market, then you'll put more quality in your product, you'll lower the price of your product, customers will buy the best option, uh, they get cheaper prices, so they're happy, they get better products, they're happy, the store owner is happy, everybody's happy. And the only way that can go wrong is if the government gets too involved in economic politics, if they put too many restrictions or too much red tape or they tax corporations too much, all that's going to distort the market and that's when things don't really work. So how did we get here anyways? In a nutshell, it started pretty much in the 1970s, right after World War II. People had what was called Keynesian economics, which were a lot more hands-on. Like, for example, the UK had taken the energy sector, made that public, People started having universal health care in some countries, etc. Like, the government was a lot more hands-on um, with this sort of stuff. And even in Canada, we saw, for example, the creation of Petro-Canada, which was originally owned by the government. We saw universal health care eventually come, that sort of thing. Yeah, so, um, sorry, I just wanted to, like, confirm, like, so, like, Keynesian economics believe that consumer de demand is the primary driving force for an economy, yes? Right, uh, absolutely. Um, it's not as free market oriented, although it's still capitalism. Like that's sort of the biggest difference between capitalism and neoliberalism. A lot of people think they're the same thing, but there are different kinds of capitalism and the Keynesian idea was one of them. Uh, the corporate tax rate, for example, was much, much higher prior to like the seventies. We're talking about like 70 to 80, some countries even went up to 90% for the highest tax rate a corporation could pay. Nowadays with neoliberalism, the highest you'll ever see is like the low forties. But, even then 
but like why do you know why they how did they justify taxing a corporation so highly like what was the idea behind that the idea was essentially to regulate business to have more control over it and then to use those public funds for you know more government programs to you know fight unemployment fight poverty like the government was just a lot more hands-on and in order to do that they just needed all that extra money essentially so it was like checks and balances for the corporations really that's essentially exactly what it was however in the 70s you know the government was more and more hands-on you started seeing a lot of pushback um for example in the u.s at least they had the whole vietnam war thing and the draft going on and a lot of people were opposed to that the elite who at that point had been getting taxed a lot didn't really mind before then because their profits kept going up with the economy. But then um, when oil crashed in the 70s, they started needing a bigger and bigger share of the pie if they wanted to keep those profits up. So they took that that movement of anti-government sentiment and sort of designed a philosophy around it saying, sure, the government's you know too in your face with this sort of stuff. But the same is true about the economy. You know, the private sector will do just fine. The government just needs to get its hands off of that. It's not its responsibility. Um, it should take care of, you know, policing, um, securing private property, that sort of thing. The economy and everything else should essentially just be run, you know, through competition and the private market. And that idea was neoliberalism. It was really cemented when the USSR fell because at that point, you know, socialism, communism, what have you, were seen as dead, as they didn't work. And so this new system of government sort of really got cemented as the only viable alternative. And some, such as Adam Curtis in the documentary Hypernormalization, or in other books such as Capital Realism, we went, went as far to say as people can simply can't imagine a world that's different to the neoliberal politics of today. So how does that relate to Canada once again? Because, you know, that's well and good. It started in the U.S., um, spread around Europe with uh, Thatcher. But how did it really get to Canada? So we had a little bit of neoliberal politics before, uh, such as with Paul Martin and a little bit with uh, Jean Chrétien, but it really started being uh, the dominant ideology with Stephen Harper's Conservative Party and Justin Trudeau's Liberal Party also hopped on the same band bandwagon. And so since then, both parties have been operating with this same ideology and the provincial governments aren't immune to that either. For example, Kathleen Wynne in Ontario sold off um, big portions of Hydro One um, to the private market, which, you know, makes a lot of sense under neoliberalism because that should lead to better service and better prices, according to that philosophy. That's so funny, I find, because she's a liberal and you would assume liberals are progressive. But here we are. She's doing the exact same thing that Doug Ford now would do. And Doug Ford, with the whole COVID pandemic, you can see him actively destroying small businesses when he forces them to close, but keeps big box retailers like Walmart, Costco, whatever law was, they're all open. They're all open because it serves the economy. And these small businesses, they don't do anything for that. They get to shut down, go out of business. But Doug Ford will keep telling you that he's a man of the people. Yeah, it's like, yeah, Doug Ford and Kathleen Wynne, just as the federal liberals and conservatives, have that sort of same ideology that the private market is going to be the solution for everything. If you want to hear a lot of talk about that, actually, you can see Doug Ford's uh, visit to Fox News, the American news channel. Um, he had quite the speech there about sort of how this all works, saying that when the government creates jobs, it's inherently a bad thing for a reason he didn't specify, and that the only real way to have a strong economy is to essentially give tax breaks to businesses and reduce red tape in order to see them flourish and them open up jobs and hire people. Right, to create an environment where we can have a lot of jobs 
as if companies that he gives money to aren't just going to pocket the money and not bother with the people because they're not responsible for the people. They're not the government. They're a private organization and giving people more jobs doesn't ex- exactly benefit them in any actual way. So quick question for you, Christine. Sure. Um, does it work? Like we've we've heard this talk of trickle-down economics for a long time now, since the Reagan era. Um, we've seen privatization happen. We've seen... Hydro One getting sold off. I don't know. Has it gotten any cheaper for you? Has the service gotten any better? No, I'm poor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, that's the thing, though, isn't it? We have this idea that trickle-down economics has the big parties, uh, the elites, uh, getting these tax breaks, and we assume that the money left over is going to come down to them, uh, well, to us. But, like, what exactly is the driving force that would make it come down to us why would that happen why wouldn't the uh, private companies just pocket the money which they do the rich have only gotten richer during this pandemic um elon musk what what he he started this pandemic with what two billion dollars now he's worth 90 90 billion dollars he's the richest man in the world he's the only yeah, person in the world that can call jeff bezos rag boy <laughs> Yeah, and speaking of Jeff Bezos, he made a ton of money off of that pandemic, too. I mean, of course he did. But even, like, Canadian businesses, like Leon's, the furniture store, they got a bunch of government grants because they had to lay off, like, half their staff because of the pandemic. And, like, they were really hurting, at least according to them. Uh, they were getting a bunch of COVID relief from the Trudeau government, and they didn't hire any of those people back. If anything, they actually gave bonuses to their shareholders and declared record profits this year all of a sudden. You know what's absolutely ridiculous about the uh, Trudeau bailouts is that company, like private company airlines, they have been getting a really bad rep because they've been, you know, still allowing international travel, like non-essential travel, which obviously is not a good idea. But they have let let go so many pilots, and by shutting down the small routes to, like, let's say, Gander, Newfoundland, or uh, anywhere in Labrador. Just these small towns that rely on uh, airlines to get supplies for like food, basic necessities. By shutting those things down, like in terms of like domestic stability, these little cities, sorry, not they're not cities, these little villages are suffering greatly and there's absolutely nothing they can do since all their supplies come from these airlines. There's absolutely no help from the government regarding uh, Air Canada, Delta, WestJet. Mm-hmm. So that's just why I just wanted to say that. All these corporations have been getting a lot of help during the pandemic and even before the pandemic. You know, if government needs to build something, they're going to hire private contractors. But why aren't they also helping people as much? Like, we'll put this CERB aside for now. But out of the $82 billion that were uh, proposed in COVID relief under the Trudeau government, $27 billion went to direct grants, but almost double that amount, $55 billion, um, or just deferred tax collection. It was essentially giving people extra credit uh, that they could then use. It was about, you know, getting tax breaks now, but having to pay it back later. And there's a lot of that. Why don't they help individuals directly, uh, you think? Um, well, ultimately, because it's not profitable. It's just free money that they're hanging out. We can also talk about how neoliberalism has a very... Uh, in the sociological aspect, there's the responsibilization of neoliberalism. And the issue with that is that it takes failure and it makes it personal. It makes it a meritocracy. And we all know that a meritocracy doesn't actually exist because of uh, systematic uh, barriers. And the thing is with that is it removes responsibility from the government and it attributes it to yourself. 
So the issue with that is it actually perpetuates neoliberalism because you you find that it's not the overarching system that doesn't work. There's something wrong with you. You're not trying hard enough or you've just done something wrong and it's up to you to fix it. It's If you're poor, it's your fault because neoliberalism relies on people making the best economic decisions for themselves. And therefore, if you're in a bad spot, that's because you made the wrong decisions along the way. It's not a collective issue. It's purely based on individuals doing decisions for themselves. Right. And we focus like that is related to the concept of like agency and like you're making the choices that are good for you. And the thing with that is like it's a bit of an appeal to freedom, uh, I think, in like the Foucauldian sense. We have this idea that any loss of personal freedom is just no good. That's why those elites were able to say things like the government is doing too much. The government needs to be removed from economics because people are just so attached to this idea of they control their own lives, that they can be self-actualized in a way where it just uh, perpetuates neoliberalism because you don't want to give up any of that agency that you have. You don't want the government to tell you what to do, even if the government is doing things that would ultimately benefit someone, like contribute money to like the welfare state to help you with, you know, social um, programs. We don't want this help. It, a, a bit, I think, attributed to the ego and the fact that you have to be able to do this stuff for yourself. Yeah, I mean, the perfect example of that, just look at the United States that still refuses to have any sort of universal health care like all the other modern nations do. It's, oh, you know, why should I pay for somebody else's health care? They're willing to pay more money in private insurance just to make sure that they're not helping anybody else or that you know their money isn't going to people that are poorer than them that might need it because everybody should be their own you know self-made man or self-made woman yeah that's where the idea of you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps like that's where that idea comes from it's very egocentric it's very selfish in that sense and that's how you get people that vote against their own interests um for example when biden had that plan i know we're talking about americans now But Biden had that plan where he was going to raise taxes for people who made over $400,000. That amount of money is unfathomable for me as a graduate student. I have no idea what I would do with $400,000 a year. But it's that kind of uh, policy where you have people who are making $50,000 a year going, I don't want that to happen. I don't want the rich to be taxed more. Under this assumption, this idea that maybe one day if I work hard enough, I'll be there too. That's just how neoliberalism perpetuates itself. It gives you this illusion that you are one day, with your own choices, with your own agency, going to get to the top. Or at least you're capable of getting there. Not everybody will, but, you know, it's your own freedom of choice and your own decisions that'll decide if you get there or not. Exactly. There's this, like, illusion of agency when in reality you have to ultimately operate in this little sandbox. And sure, you're with this idea of agency, you can do whatever you want in the sandbox. That is true. But ultimately, you are confined in a sandbox. You can't get out of it. You are free in the United States to be overcharged for healthcare with like three or four different providers that are available in your area. Or you also have the choice to starve on the street. But um, neither of those choices are necessarily better than just having a universal system, which is why every other country seems to have it and they're perfectly happy with it there is no like collective good i suppose i guess it's like kind of like the tragedy of the commons where if everyone can get something good they're just ultimately gonna ruin it it's the crabs in a bucket mentality oh definitely to be honest i think we're being a bit unfair here like 
if you look at different polls, um, most Americans are actually in favor of some sort of universal health care, like Medicare for all or something. But that never translates to the politics, mainly, no. once again, because neoliberalism sort of rules the world all over the place. We're kind of lucky we got our universal health care before the Harper and Trudeau government came in because they never would have given it to us. I do want to say, though, I feel like with Canada, we really like to flex the fact that we have universal health care. But we got that so long ago and we've just never been bold enough to do anything like that ever since. Not only that, we brag about our universal health care, but look at, for example, Doug Ford in Ontario, that's defunding the hell out of it. We yeah. say we like universal health care, but at the same time, we're not trying to prop it up or help it in any way. No, we're very complacent, actually. And that goes back to something else that I kind of want to mention, this idea of like learned helplessness that also like goes back into this, the social science aspect of neoliberalism and like being responsible for yourself. Uh, there's this idea where people like become more prone to being helpless uh, under this idea that like no matter what you do, it doesn't matter. And that ultimately goes back and relates to the main topic of our episode today, which is both sidesism. It's like no matter what you do, nothing will change. And in that way, that kind of perpetuates, well, that does perpetuate neoliberalism if they realize or they learn that they can't influence uh, the rule in a way that helps them and relinquishes efforts to change the course of things. I, th I think you touched on a really important point there. And that point is the idea of stability and nothing ever changing. Because I think that's also a very important part of neoliberalism today. It's, you know, for the market to work, for the stock prices to not be too perturbed, you kind of need everything to always be the same. You can't have any outside influence, such as a pandemic, screwing everything up. No, um, we honestly, I really feel like neoliberalism is kind of like stuck. I know that sounds really like end of the world, apocalyptic, kind of like it doesn't matter. We're, it's stuck here. It's here to stay because even though there's a, a bunch of options out there that aren't so great for us, we'll pick them anyway over the uncertainty, right? And we have like a word for that in Canadian politics that everyone knows, and it's just strategic voting. People are so afraid of a possibility for change when change could perhaps bring in something that they don't want that they'll just stay with like, you know, the liberal government because that's typically what strategic voting like reflects on upon. They'll stick with the liberal government instead of, say, the Green Party or the NDP party. Because if I had a dollar for every time someone said, oh, I would vote for the NDP party if they actually had a chance, like, I would be able to personally fund Jack Layton's necromantic revival and install him as our god king. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, strategic voting. Strategic voting is definitely an issue, but I think it's not a bug; it's a feature, so to speak. Um, Elaborate, <laughs> like at least from a neoliberal perspective. I mean, once again, like for neoliberalism to work, everything needs to remain pretty steady. You can't have a world war, for example, that would cut into company profits because of the uncertainty. The markets would drop. It it would just be a bad time. Uh, yeah, take a look right. at, for example, the uh, 2008 financial crisis. You know, at that point, the lack of regulation started biting people in the in the butt. Um, the economy started going downhill, free fall. Some of the banks, uh, the biggest banks in America, were even on the verge of bankruptcy. And what happened? The neoliberal government decided to bail them out, gave them taxpayer money so that they wouldn't go bankrupt. And the reason for that, a lot of people think it's oh, it's corruption. You know, I guess they had a lot of good friends in the banking industry. But it's really not. It's just part of the idea that you need to have everything stable and the free market needs to work. 
essentially the government's job is to prop up capitalism. And if you think of it in that sense, both the idea of bailing out big corporations whenever they go bankrupt, it makes sense. But also the idea of strategic voting, we're not going to change away from first past the post because doing so would make things less stable. You'd have maybe smaller parties have a bigger share of the government. You'd have change. Exactly. And change is scary if there's... for markets. Sorry, I kept interrupting you. But if there's just one thing that I... Like a lot of people hate Justin Trudeau for whatever reason they may have. But if there's this one thing that really grinds my gears about him is the fact that he promised he would get rid of first past the post. And as soon as he won, he just forgot because it benefited him. And he knows that if we had a ranked voting in Canada, the Liberal Party would be much smaller than it is now. Funnily enough, um, here's a fun fact for you. The Conservatives, Liberals, NDP, and I think even Green Party all have ranked voting when it comes to choosing their party leaders. But you'll never see that in a federal election. It's because they know they have to have like the most marketable, like appealing um, politician and the one that like actually reflects what the party stands for. So they'll push it out. But as soon as it comes to like fairly winning the election for all of Canada, they're just going to find the easiest, easiest way to do it. And that's first past the post. Absolutely. Because if you look at it, a lot of the liberal voters being the centrist party would easily vote NDP or Green Party in most elections if they thought they had any chance of winning. Um, Canada is a lot more leftist than our current politics would leave you believe because we have one major conservative party, only one since Harper fused them both, and one liberal centrist party that'll grab a few of those more conservative voters and a lot of the leftists. And then you'll have smaller, almost fringe parties like the NDP and the Green Party, neither of which have ever really come close to all out winning an election. Don't forget except the block. for that. <laughs> oh, yeah, the block also exists, but yeah, by exist. definition, they can't lead the country. No. <laughs> but like the closest the NDP ever got was essentially when the liberals shot themselves in the foot with Ignatieff. That's a story for another day. Even they haven't been untouched by neoliberalism. Um, if you look at, for example, when Mulcair was in power, but I'm getting besides the point. Okay, so I mean, I, I just want to quickly go back to this idea of stability. Um, and that is like one of the basis of uh, neoliberalism. And that's where, you know, uh, stabilizing the status quo, all in relation to the economy. Yeah, I mean, the same sort of thing happened even with the pandemic, right? At first, the pandemic wasn't really a big deal. You know, people sort of ignored it while it was going on in China. All the way until it got so bad here that everything had to shut down. Because before then, they were trying to keep everything stable, keep everything normal, trying to keep the markets working until they just couldn't anymore. And even now, like flights to other countries like the U.S. and all that aren't canceled, even though the borders are supposed to be closed. Like Even then, they're trying to keep the world running as it was, even if it makes pandemic um, the pandemic here worse by spiking uh, the number of COVID cases and all that. We're trying to keep businesses open, even though we are sort of ordered to stay at home and not go to said businesses. They're still trying to sort of keep a relative sense of normalcy, despite all of the stuff that's going on. And it's costing lives. Yeah. And the relief fund that, uh, you know, CERB, uh, given to us by the liberal government, like initially, initially, it seemed like a great sort of well, relief. Uh, it seemed like you would just get $2,000 because you got laid off from COVID or you couldn't work because of COVID or anything like that. But in reality, now we find that uh, uh, 
like there's there has been sort of misleading wording regarding uh, the requirements for CERB. So it was updated to say that you need to make five thousand dollars the year before uh, gross, not net. Wait, was it five thousand dollars net or five thousand dollars gross? And what that does is like it made a it disqualified a lot of Canadians. So they're gonna have to pay back I think up to fourteen thousand dollars. And in a pandemic where you needed federal assistance anyway, how are you supposed to get $14,000? It's not like they actively committed fraud. It's just that they thought that they were eligible for the, uh, for the service. And then the government goes ahead and like quietly moves things around and just makes it extremely difficult to actually benefit from CERB. In reality, I think they'd actually harmed a lot of people who actually have to pay back nearly $14,000. Yeah, like let's talk uh, more about CERB as well because... I feel like we've sort of been leading up to this. CERB, at least the way it was initially planned, by the NDP, mind you, not the Liberal government, was not neoliberal in the slightest. It actually goes pretty much against all that neoliberalism stands for. It's not about personal responsibility anymore. It's not about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. All of a sudden, at least in theory, every Canadian was supposed to get $2,000 to get help during the pandemic. And that would also stimulate the economy in a way, which is why people called it a stimulus uh, bill. And when the Liberals sort of took the idea, because they are a minority government, they needed to listen to the NDP somewhat. They kind of butchered the idea, put in a lot of weird clauses, a lot of very confusing messaging around whether or not you were a eligible. Um, it only applied to certain people that had lost jobs during the pandemic. Uh, if you were a student, there was a separate benefit you could have instead that wasn't quite the same. There was a lot of murkying of the waters, which I think really shows you how uncomfortable the liberal government was with just giving citizens money. I also want to like just add a real quick, I feel like regarding CERB, we can sort of see how like the neoliberal system has really just ingrained itself into, I guess, everyday life. Because I know that like you could you could still work you could work and make up to about I think a thousand dollars a month like under that you would still get CERB you could still get I guess a total of about three thousand dollars a month but I know a lot of people thought that was unethical they thought that you know CERB should only be for people who had just really lost their job completely and were making zero dollars a month and that if you were still working and you still had a job and you still applied for CERB, like even if you were eligible by any every sense of the disingenuous kind of wording, even though you were still eligible, people thought that you shouldn't do it, that it was unethical. Yeah, absolutely. And just to sort of conclude all of this discussion, so what are the what do we do now with this information? Like we know that both parties, while having differences that are largely superficial across, you know, social issues, the environment, stuff like that. Both have the same philosophy when it comes to the economy. So what? Is it true that voting is pointless because both sides are just going to be the same? Well, I think that's a really binary way of seeing the political system. I guess in like the United States, maybe they only have the two parties. But in Canada, we have a lot of alternatives. As I said before, like if everyone who said they would vote for uh, the NDP government did actually vote for the NDP government, I think there would actually be a lot of change. And it doesn't have to be the NDP government. It could be, I don't know, the Green Party. It could be, I guess if you're spicy and you live in Quebec, you can vote for the Bloc Québécois. But it doesn't have to be just the Liberals and the Conservatives. If we keep thinking like that, that's how we feel helpless and like both sides are the same. When in reality, we do have options. We just have to actually go ahead and, you know... uh, go ahead and uh, 
what's the word like vote <laughs> vote yeah just vote <laughs> vote for the change you want to see that sounds really cheesy but you have a choice it is also worth uh, stating that like even if they don't actually win representation in parliament is actually a big deal like just look at serb for example sure it was you know massacred in a way um but the idea wouldn't have existed at all under a majority government with justin trudeau at the helm no, absolutely that was, not. Yeah, both the Green Party and the NDP were calling for just universal $2,000 checks. So voting for other parties does matter, even under first-past-the-post, even though it's a terrible system. Sorry, like, the more people say, oh, I'm not going to vote because it doesn't matter, the more the status quo gets c cemented in. If all the people who want change don't vote, then it's just going to be the minority of... I guess elites that get to dictate what they want in in parliament because they're the only ones that are actually voting yeah if people get complacent and don't try to change the system everything will stay exactly the same as it currently is and that's exactly what the people in charge want thanks for listening to the first episode of last past the post we're still new at this and we'll be trying our best to improve the quality of the podcast with every episode we'll be releasing episodes bi-weekly every other sunday Join us next time as Alex and I discuss the concept of political spin, what it means, what it does, and how does it affect you and the media that you consume.